Living the Faith podcast, brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media, restoringthefaith.com. Welcome back to another episode of Living the Faith with Ben, Joe, and Mike. We are coming at you from the heart of America, and today we're going to talk about one of the greatest saints in the history of the church, especially for the Irish, St. Patrick. On the 17th of this month, we will celebrate this great feast for St. Patrick. And many Americans who owe their lineage to the Irish will be celebrating. In Chicago, they will be dyeing the rivers green and drinking green beer. But is this really the way that we should be celebrating this particular saint? I mean, Ben, what do we know about the life of St. Patrick? We can start there. Okay, great. Uh, So... Uh, starting with the basics, uh, St. Patrick obviously was in the 400s. Um, we're looking at a time in history where the Romans are still around, though no longer a force as they once were. Um, obviously, uh, apostle to Ireland and probably one of the most spectacular saints on record. Um, I don't think there's a single type of miracle that he didn't work. Uh, so st- just starting there, I think, uh, you know, spreading... Um, the story of St. Patrick um, and his miracles and the, and the wonders that he worked in God's name in Ireland is a good start to kind of bringing back the, the real story of St. Patrick and celebrating it the right way, not just with green beer. Right. So at this point in history, as uh, everybody can recall, the barbarian pressure on the empire is pretty acute. The empire is already split between East and West. And the Western Empire continues to face pressure from barbarians from various places. And it should be noted that the island of Ireland, which is obviously off the coast of Britain, never had the pleasure of a Roman centurion to step foot on its border. So it was never Roman, although its neighbor in Great Britain was. And this is where St. Patrick was born. He was born in Britain. As a young boy, he maintained the faith uh, in a pretty amazing way. He was a miracle worker from the beginning. It was as though God's favor was always with the venerable saint. There were stories of him turning water into honey. There were stories of him creating uh, tax money when the tax man came around to, to uh, to keep the family solvent. And Sadly, when he was somewhere, we don't know exactly, but when he was between the ages of 12 and 16, he was actually captured and made a slave by what were then called the Gales, the Gales of Ireland. So after he was captured by the Gales, uh, he was sold as a slave and he was a shepherd. Uh, But when he was 20 years old, he escaped because he received a dream from God, which told him that he um, needed to leave going by the coast. And he found some sailors who took him to Britain and was reunited with his family. Yeah. In the, in the dream that God sent him, he said, you know, your, your time as a slave is, is over. And he, I think God gave him the image of a ship that he would be looking for. And the Holy Saint walked something like a hundred miles, many, many days to find this ship. And he found the ship. And as he approached the ship, he asked the captain to take him back to Britain. And the captain, of course, scoffed and said, look, I don't know who you are. You might, for all I know, you might be an escaped slave and I could get in a lot of trouble for taking you across. So, uh, you know, scram, beat it. And so St. Patrick did out of obedience. And 
as soon as he departed, the dogs, which were on the ship, who had been barking incessantly, much to the annoyance of the entire crew, began barking again. And it was then that the ship's captain and, and his mates realized that in the presence of the Holy Saint, this young man, these dogs were obedient and quiet and, and palatable. So they said, okay, hey, come, come back here. And he came back. And of course, the dogs were tame again. And they said, okay, well, we'll take you across so long as you uh, don't get us in any trouble. It's really and interesting. that's how I got back. It's really interesting because you uh, see many examples throughout his life. He was almost like the Irish St. Francis of Assisi. You know, he, he had so many interactions with animals and miracles surrounding even animals, even at this early age. So he ends up uh, getting back to Britain, reunited with his family. Um, he's there for some period of time. And then all of a sudden he starts having these dreams about the voice of the Irish and these people were standing by the Western Sea and crying out, we appeal to you, holy servant boy, come and walk among us. And he was having several of these dreams, very startled by that, which actually prompted him into his studies for the priesthood. And um, he, uh, sometime before, uh, in the 430s, early 430s, he was uh, actually ordained by another saint, St. Germanus, the bishop of Auxerre, uh, under whom he had studied for for several years and was later ordained a bishop and then formally sent to take the gospel to Ireland. So he actually goes back to Ireland and he arrives in Slane. And this is where uh, he has his probably most famous encounter, uh, initial encounter with the uh, pagan tribes of Ireland. Yeah, you got to remember at the time, um, all of the Gaels were basically under the religious control of, the, of a pagan sect known as the Druids. And at this point, the Druids, which were essentially uh, polytheists um, with, with, a, with a little bit of nature worship in there as well, were, they, were, they were feared by even the, the native kings, the, the Irish native kings, for their mystical and, and sorcery powers. And so they were really unopposed um, prior to Patrick's arrival on the island. And when he arrived, you know, we always use the, the shamrock as an image for, for Patrick. And what St. Patrick did is he used the shamrock, which grows beautifully in that green isle, as a symbol for the Holy Trinity. And because there was a latent understanding or, or uh, weight to the number three within the ancient Druid false religion, then he was able to leverage and, and, and use the number three to uh, depict the Holy Trinity to these people who had never heard the gospel before. Uh, there's a, a really uh, a great story when he was uh, negotiating with the Jews early on, um, and uh, it was a live debate, and the Druid refused to uh, admit the falseness of his gods, and St. Patrick was talking back and forth with him and had basically won the house. So everyone that was watching was agreeing with St. Patrick and all that was with the steward. And St. Patrick warned him towards the end of the argument that he he knew better than to continue to deny. But he was denied and still the Jew denied. And St. Patrick uh, made the sign of the cross and then struck the ground. And the ground opened up and swallowed the Druid. And this happens repeatedly as he goes around and talks to other Druid tribes throughout Ireland. Um, but uh, 
you know, something of that magnitude is not something that you hear today uh, when the story of St. Patrick is told. Um, but it, it's a it's a great uh, it's a great story. Uh, the other my other favorite story of St. Patrick is the uh, baptism of St. Ag- um, Ag- Agnes Agnes uh, in the castle of Cashel. Uh, so he's this is one of the larger um, kings of Ireland. And uh, it is the baptism of this king, and he's reading the creed to him, and he's looking for affirmation from the king. And he gets the affirmation from the king after the creed, and he takes his crozier to, to knock it once on the ground to symbol the, the, the start of the baptism. And without knowing it, drives the pointed edge of his crozier through the foot of the king. And the king doesn't flinch, doesn't move, doesn't make a sound, not a word. And St. Patrick doesn't even notice. The baptism continues. It's only after the fact that St. Patrick notices um, and, and asks the king, why, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you say something? And he said, oh, I just, I just assumed that this was part of the rite of baptism. And, and, uh, yeah, so quite, quite an amazing convert there. And obviously a stellar example of virtue for his men there in Ireland, but just a great story. So St. Patrick, he's running around Ireland. He's founding churches. Um, he's eventually made a bishop and the prelate of Ireland. And so he's, he's raising up holy clergy in his wake. And by the end of his life, the entire Island has been converted to, the faith there there's not a single druid left but during the course of his life these these druids are attempting to assassinate him and there are many instances probably too many to retell in which saint patrick should have been killed the assassination attempts by by the these pagans would have worked on anybody else but in some cases god warned saint patrick and in other cases he just escaped by what can only be described as as a miracle and so he lived a long, fruitful life, died in the year 490 on the island, and um, his legacy on the island was pretty immediate. So Patrick's legacy is incredible, right? He created or built some 300 churches in Ireland during his lifetime and baptized over 120,000 people. He, he sets up Ireland to be this epicenter of Catholicism during the the barbarian hordes overtaking Europe. This is the place where the Catholic intellectual life, the Catholic spiritual life, records of all sorts of stuff that we do not have as a result of the destruction of these various places in Europe, where he has created these monasteries where these monks illuminate and make copies of scripture and uh, carry on these, these beautiful talents. There's so much in Ireland that was preserved to this period of time as kind of this, uh, this catacombs of sorts and this new wave of persecutions on the mainland. It's truly incredible. Yeah. Just talking about the monasteries in Ireland, although St. Patrick didn't have the benefit of the Benedictine tradition, which really did sort of uh, convert all of Europe later on, what he did have the benefit of was, was, the early monastic lifestyle. And in fact, there's a, there's one Island where there's an example of off the uh, coast of Ireland, which is called the Island of Arran Moor. And at that time, uh, towards the end of St. Patrick's life and immediately thereafter, it was referred to as the Holy Isle because monasteries dotted the Island from North to South. And it was a place 
that was secluded and protected from the savagery of the barbarian hordes on the continent of Europe and in which learning, prayer, fasting, and the scriptures, which were laboriously hand-copied and preserved there, could continue for centuries unabated by what was happening elsewhere in the world. Today on the island of Aranmore, there are less than a thousand inhabitants. And unfortunately, many of the monasteries which have their ancient origins there, which predate even the Middle Ages, are no more. But what a gift, uh, what a gift to humanity Ireland was at that time, and in particular, preserving the, the manuscripts and the art and the tradition of the church at a time when it otherwise would have been burned and ransacked on the continent. I think modern man often underestimates the contribution to society and to history of the monasteries. But Mike, what you said is a perfect example of uh, where the medieval period and even pre-medieval period, uh, the monasteries and the monks who lived there were in part the only people who were preserving uh, the writings of those who came before and preserving them in such a way that they could um, uh, be appreciated by future generations, but also treasured by future generations as works of art and beautiful examples of the art from that period and obviously of any type of art that's inspired by the faith. And it was in these Irish monasteries in which the, no the nobility of continental Europe and the future kings were educated. And so the, the fingerprints on all of Europe um, are very clearly articulated in an Irish tradition. There were many, many saints um, who helped evangelize um, even, as far, even as far inland as, as Italy. You see uh, St. Columba and St. Gaul as, as have, being two outstanding Irish saints who's, who were baptized by Patrick themselves and who went out into, um, into France and into Spain and into Italy um, and, and converted many, many people and brought so many souls to the faith. So the monasteries in Ireland continue to play a very important role even into the time of the Middle Ages. But let's transition to even uh, the, the impact of Ireland Fast forward to you know the the latter part of the of the Middle Ages and and now we're entering the the Protestant Revolution and whatnot. I mean, look, you've got Ireland at this point is is subjugated to you know or or a member of the the Kingdom of Great Britain, and when Henry VIII splits the church over his desire to have a new wife and his desire to receive divorce, which was impossible at the time. And St. Thomas More can tell you all about that. The island of Ireland never got on board. In fact, when, uh, when these Anglican so-called bishops would march along and, and do their processions in the streets of Ireland, they would do so at their own risk. I mean, the Irish people would throw tomatoes and rocks at them and scoff at them and mock them and say, you're not even... Yeah, you're not prelates of any church because you've separated yourself from the one true church and will never get on board. Today, the island still remains more than 50% Catholic. And unfortunately, although 
St. Patrick is credited as having rid the island of all the snakes in his day, the day that abortions were legalized in Ireland, snakes returned to the Ireland to the island. So that's uh, that's pretty scary. Yeah, it just happened a few weeks ago, right? I saw that in the news. They found uh, snakes on the beach. It's the beginning of the next phase. There's been a, it, like you're saying, that was a a truly uh, awful uh, period of persecution that they went through. And while certainly there is a persecution at this level, my wife um, went through Ireland uh, several years ago on a uh, campaign trail against abortion because many of the Irish anyways have been staving off abortion for a very long time as part of the EU. And uh, yeah, whatever happened now, I mean, clearly is going to be on some variety of people in Ireland on their heads. But still, there is a strong contingent of uh, Irish people that are fighting back like they did against Thomas Kramer uh, during the uh, Protestant Revolution that uh, they say this this is uncalled for. It's actually not even believed that the the Irish together as a people, if you just took a straight up majority, would be even for this. But it seems clear that regardless of that, that the evil has still um, prevailed temporarily, obviously, in Ireland. And there is a sign that this is uh, the, the blessings of St. Patrick are uh, waning, shall we say. Well, you guys were telling me uh, while we were doing our show prep, and I, had, I hadn't heard of any of this. There are some, you know, we know about some of the major miracles um, from St. Patrick, obviously. And we even probably should spend a little bit more time talking about some of the other miracles that we do. we're not going to hear about them when people are doing their pub crawls, right, in, <laughs> in bars in, in, in the United States. And unfortunately, St. Patrick is, is, is just a uh, synonym for uh, getting belligerently drunk in this country. But you guys were telling me that, that he, had, he had made a couple specific prophecies that tie into what you were talking about just now, Joe. Yeah, so we haven't even scratched the surface. I, I don't even think we even tried to really we could say that uh, because there are literally so many miracles in the life of St. Patrick. He's, in, in the case of what is actually recorded and what is even handed down in tradition, that St. Patrick really does have a lot of miracles. And there was a very particularly special relationship that he had uh, with God to the point that he was the um, the negotiator for the future of Ireland between him and God. Uh, and God actually sent an angel back and forth to, to be the messenger of communication between him and God. And so he's talking with this angel, and he has literally stayed out on this rock and refused to leave until certain promises were granted to him on behalf of the Irish people. And he ends up getting not just one or two promises, but several actual promises to him, one of them being specifically before the end of the world, seven years before the end of the world, Ireland would be submerged underwater, completely flooded, wiped off the face of the earth so that they would not endure the experience of the Antichrist. Oh, my gosh. That's that's similar to uh, one of the great saints. Oh, I, I think it was, I don't know who it was. I think it was St. Teresa of Avila where she had, she had given a prayer or, or taught somebody to, to say the prayer that if, if my son or daughter sins morally, I'd rather them you know, not be born or whatever. Um, that's, that's pretty crazy. At least the Island can die Catholic 
than experience the end times. Better to die Catholic than to die in revolution. There was another promise that was made, and it was part of the discussion, the narrative that was, uh, that's been written down and passed down between the angel and Patrick. And the angel's talking about, um, you know, this is probably the seventh time the angel has gone between him and God as part of the negotiation for the different things that St. Patrick is asking for. And one of the last things that St. Patrick asked for is at the end time, when there are three types of people, the people of hell, the people of heaven, and the people of earth, when they all appear for the final judgment, I want permission, this is St. Patrick speaking, to judge the people of Ireland. And the saint said, uh, the angel said, that's absolutely impossible. And then St. Patrick has, repeats what he says every time. No, that I will not leave this rock until my request is heard. And so the angel turns around and goes back. And then that evening, uh, the angel comes back and he said, all creatures, visible and invisible, including the 12 apostles, entreated and they have obtained. And, uh, and so permission was given to St. Patrick to intercede on the part of Ireland at the final judgment. And it's, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> wow. It's it's no wonder that uh, the Feast of St. Patrick is very clearly a solemn feast on, in Ireland. It's it's one of the highest feast days there. It's a holy day of obligation, etc. So yeah, the, it, it, his intercession was truly incredible. And uh, for that reason, it's probably um, worth noting that there is a prayer uh, called St. Patrick's Breastplate. It was, it was a popular prayer once upon a time. I'm sure some people are aware of it. Uh, some people might not be, but particularly if you're Irish and in maybe reparation for the sins that are committed on the Feast of St. Patrick, uh, by the way, by all means, please have many pints during his feast day, just not too many. But this prayer is a beautiful prayer. You should look it up uh, online. Many people will probably be more familiar with the last stanza of the prayer and given St. Patrick's level of intercession is probably worth praying. It goes, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. It's just truly a beautiful prayer. It shows his his devotion to Christ in all things, uh, as scriptures instructs us to do in a very, very powerful way, much like a litany, just impressing on us the importance of Christ in our lives. Even as a young man, St. Patrick would pray, according to his own biography, autobiography, at least a hundred times a day. There's no question that not only did our did our venerable St. Patrick have a fervent love for our Lord, but that that love was indeed reciprocated. In the words of G.K. Chesterton, to describe the Irish peoples in the wake of St. Patrick, The great gales of Ireland are the men that God made mad, for all their wars are merry and all their songs are sad. St. Patrick, pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for us.